Today is July 7th, and I'm Anthony Hansen, Extension Educator for Integrated Pest Management in Field Crops. Earlier this morning, we recorded our 12th episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics, and a live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the growing season. During the live webinar, participants can join in discussion and get questions answered that they can ask during the webinar. Today's webinar was moderated by Dave Nikolai, Extension Educator, and myself. Guests on the webinar were Dean Melvick, a plant pathologist for field crops with the University of Minnesota's Department of Plant Pathology, and Angie Peltier, a regional Extension Educator for corn and soybeans in Northwestern Minnesota based in Crookston with the University of Minnesota. Today we discuss current weather conditions that can lead to different diseases. Recent rains and the timing of soybean flowering could increase the prevalence of white mold infection for soybeans, and soybean cyst nematode may also be more noticeable this year in the current drought conditions. Thanks and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current crop conditions and management topics throughout the growing season. Well, good morning. Welcome to today's uh, Strategic Farming Field Notes program. We're happy you've joined us for today's session. This session is on disease management in a drought. These sessions are brought to you by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Dave Nikolai, along with my co-host, uh, Anthony Hansen. We're University of Minnesota Extension educators in field crops. We want to welcome our guests this morning, uh, Dr. Dean Melvick from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Dean is Extension Specialist, primarily in the area of corn and soybean diseases. Uh, also, a co-worker of ours, uh, Angie Peltier, who's an Extension Crops Educator, uh, Angie is located in the uh, Red River Valley area uh, at the uh, Crookston uh, Regional Office uh, in uh, northwestern Minnesota. On disease management in a drought, we know that there was some rain last night, uh, Anthony, and in some places in Minnesota. Uh, some were more fortunate than others, but certainly I think the, the word for the week is variable in terms of precipitation and its possible impact uh, not on crop growth, but disease. So with that, Anthony, uh, we're going to turn it into a softball game here, and we're going to give you the first pitch, so to speak, here to our panelists in terms of getting things going. And thanks, Dave. And yeah, that was some variable rain we had yesterday. I know right around central Minnesota, where I am from Bruton, that was about, oh, five, six tenths of rain we had here on the farm. Other parts of Minnesota, they had over an inch. Other places, not so much. So it's definitely the question of how much rain do we get and what's that going to do, especially for this topic of disease management. Is it can be definitely a situation where if we have rain, right, soybeans are flowering right now, that could be setting us up for some uh, white mold. So that's my question to you is kind of what's going on with white mold right now, both in terms of what was happening when things were so dry before and what will this rain change for kind of the situation for white mold now? Obviously, as, as everyone I think knows, white mold is a, is a major factor for, for many fields. So looking at the drought situation or the weather situation across the state, you know, when it's dry, it doesn't favor white mold. When it's hot, it generally doesn't favor white mold. But obviously, those are not the conditions that occur in every field across the state, as you've, as you've noted. And so I think a couple of factors to keep in mind. You know, remember, white mold starts by the, the sclerotia of the fungus essentially germinating or starting to grow in the soil, producing this mushroom type structure on the soil surface and releasing spores that then infect the soybean plant. So if the soil isn't wet for 
some research says eight to 10 days, maybe at least, those sclerotia in the top two inches or so don't tend to germinate and produce the resultant spores. So first of all, we need wet soil for some extended period of time in the top inch or two. And then after that, we need relatively cool, wet conditions to really get the disease going. You know, generally conditions have not been favorable, but here and there, they probably could be. You know, we've seen in the past, what generally looks like a, a dry period, for example, across much of July, which is the most prime time for infection when the soybeans are flowering, just some timely rains at the right time actually resulted in white mold. So that could be happening in some places now. Dean, that's kind of part of my question too, is besides the rain, the forecast is something like it's supposed to cool off pretty good. So is this going to be a prime time of this upcoming week or is it a little bit too late for white mold or more perfect timing for it? Oh no, this is, this is probably a prime time for infection getting the disease started if we have the right conditions. You know, you know temperatures in the 80s, which I, I think I forecasted for much of this week, not, not like the 90s, but still in the 80s, that's still not highly favorable for white mold. Although when it's cooling off in the 60s at night, you know, it, it can, can, can proceed then. So there's a kind of a balance there. And some have looked at the average. If the average daily temperature is much above 70 day and night, white mold tend not, tends not to be very severe, but there's no hard and fast rules around this disease. It occurs sometimes when we don't expect it. Dan, would you, I know you, oh, go ahead, Dave. Okay, I was just gonna ask Dean, if would you expect uh, if we get a little bit uh, more precipitation now it's it's still only maybe thirty percent, but there's some chances here towards this weekend. Um, is it primarily what we're looking at here, uh, the soil being uh, um, wet or the canopy staying wet longer in terms of uh, infection? Well, if we have all we need is moist soil for that fungus to start growing out of the soil to produce the spores, and a really really key thing is to have wet foliage, wet leaves wet flowers, uh, wet stems, so that the infection can get started and then spread. So wet and at a proper temperature. You know, again, when it gets too warm, it tends not to favor it. But it's, it's interesting to note, there are some Southern regions, parts of the world where we'd never expect white mold to be based on these temperature requirements that we see here. But it's warmer there and they still have white mold in some places. The fungus has adapted to warmer conditions, it seems. Well, I, I know that coming into the office this morning, my car thermometer said 56 degrees. Yes. So that's that's pretty cool. So maybe just jump ahead of here a little bit. I know we're going to get the question. We haven't yet, but what about fungicide applications? Um, is it too early to anticipate that? I know there are a number of products that um, that list white mold on on at least partially on the label. Um, any thoughts about that, about being preemptive, or would you take a more wait-and-see approach here? Mm -hmm. So just one last thing about the temperature. It seems to be the average. So when you have temperatures in the 50s, like we do now in much of the state, and we even have, have high temperatures in the 80s, that's still a favorable overall temperature for white mold. Um, fungicides, they definitely can provide a benefit if they're applied before the infection gets started which generally would, would be around this time of the year. Um, so if we can get them on and good good coverage, now Angie can add, add to this and other things related to white mold too after I finish these comments, but if we can get good coverage with, with 
fungicides, they can provide a significant benefit. But the issue is, again, we have to get them on before the disease gets very established. They don't have a lot of curative power. They have a lot more preventative power. And that's inherently risky, right? If we don't have white mold, we don't tend to see much benefit from those particular fungicides or many of them. There are a few that have a broader spectrum. So I'll leave that. And Angie, I think you, you were uh, going to jump in and have some comments. Sure. So um, I also tend to think of a, a nice thick canopy. So, um, you know, what we're really looking for is that microenvironment underneath underneath the canopy that, that uh, typically allows for disease to take place, you know, the interaction between the, the pathogen and, and the plant itself. What I've found, even when we're trying to get disease, so plant pathologists, we often try to get disease in order to test a, a specific management uh, practice, for, for example. Even when we're trying to get disease, oftentimes, um, if we have a, a field that we irrigate heavily, if the temperatures tend to get hot, hotter, it doesn't matter how much we are able to irrigate, um, white mold just won't occur. It's, it's you know, field specific, it's region specific. And um, there, there are a couple of apps that, that were developed in Wisconsin at University of Wisconsin in Madison that can help folks to to determine whether or not they've had, you know, conditions that, like Dean was saying, would favor the sclerotia to germinate in the soil. And so they're called spore buster and spore caster. One is to, to help you determine whether or not white mold's likely to occur in your field. And then the other is to help you to um, make those decisions as far as fungicide active ingredient for example, and um, what would be most likely to pay in your given situation. So, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, Angie, one of the things that we see from the east to the west side of the state and then so forth, and then there's a question that actually is coming in from Seth Nave in the same area about canopies. If we are looking at western Minnesota, northwest, western, and so on, our soybean canopy has obviously been affected dramatically by the drought, at least at this point in time, versus the eastern side where I am here, it's it's better, it's wider, and, uh, you know, we get down into that uh, southeastern part. So maybe for both uh, Angie and Dean here, are you going to expect differences there, maybe differences in fungicide response or, or the disease based just upon the fact that this canopy has been diminished, uh, at least at least to start with here, because of the dry weather? We don't have a canopy to speak of in, in Northwestern Minnesota, at least through uh, large areas of Northwestern Minnesota. I know that some areas further south of Crookston where I'm located did get some, some rain. And so maybe those canopies are starting to fill out. I, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of disease pressure where, where I am personally. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point that was raised. If we don't have row closure, canopy closure, the risk of white mold is very low, generally very low. So Dean or Angie, can I have a scenario question for you? And this is actually related to uh, my family's farm. We have one field that we pretty consistently get white mold on where maybe the last 20 years, it seems like every year we have soybeans, there's always a pretty good amount of it in there. 
mostly maybe just because historically it's the high amount of pathogen in there. Then also um, things like it doesn't get a lot of breeze because it's kind of in a lot of trees. So what kind of conditions might someone see like a field like that where they know that, hey, I usually have white mold. Is there anything I can do to change things or how do they best manage it? Because I know these fungicides, like you mentioned, it, it can be a pretty narrow window when it's affected. So what other options do these folks have if they have a field that they kind of always wonder, is like, can I really do something or am I left just kind of waiting to see how much yield loss I have? Yeah. So I want Dean, to, go ahead, Angie. Oh, I was just going to say, you, you've done some work looking at Contan's uh, biological treatment that's applied to the soil that targets the fungus itself, if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. I think that's one thing we should think about at times. But even before that, I would say, you know, choose the most highly resistant variety we can find, right? There, there's no such thing as complete resistance in any soybean variety to white mold, in spite of decades of attempts to, to, for breeders to develop it. But nonetheless, the highest level of resistance will perform much better than lower levels in most fields. And the other thing is, you know, if we can reduce plant density, either by reducing plant populations or increasing row width, that can also reduce the problem. It won't eliminate it, but it can reduce it at the levels that are more tolerable and result in less yield loss. And contans is another option. Not a cheap option, but neither are fungicides, but it has the potential for more than one year of management or suppression. And so that is a biological product that actually was applied to soil operating in the top inch or two, which can destroy the white mold fungus. And it's, it's proven to work. We just simply don't have a lot of data yet with soybeans to show how well it works in the northern environments. And there always are questions about when to apply it as well, because it needs to have time to actually degrade the white mold fungus in the soil. So, Dean, one um, thing that comes up from time to time is if a farmer or grower has persistent problems, how long will that sclerotia um, have a potential to be a problem in a field? And should, if you're in a drilled soybeans versus 30 inch, are there choices here that may help you in terms of row width and canopy as far as how you plant in some of those uh, persistent fields uh, as, as well? So maybe there's kind of two things or two parts of that question is uh, sclerotia longevity as well as uh, row width? Well, sclerotia longevity is, is very long. Uh, it can probably be over 10 years. I know cases, when I was working in Illinois, south of Champaign, there was a case where their field, they hadn't seen white mold in years. And finally, it was a cool, wet year with, with a lot of days like we're experiencing right now. And they had serious white mold, and they hadn't seen it for over a dozen years. So, and it's a well-managed field with no weed pressure either. So I think over 10 years uh, and who knows how long under some conditions. So a long, long time. So it's, it's very difficult to get away from that fungus once you have significant white mold. And um, as far as other options, I mean, the ones we already mentioned, if we only have, for example, a drill, then we reduce the seed population. Instead of planting at 150,000, maybe we want to go down to 110 or 120, depending on where we are in the state. So those are some things to think about. It's, it's a balancing act, um, I think, in many ways. Angie, anything you want to add to that? 
Yes, I was just going to say, um, Anthony, in your family's field, I know that sometimes, especially if you folks have a history of livestock production that can also, if you're, you know, applying manure that can create a really nice thick canopy too. And so in fields like that, you would probably, like Dean mentioned, uh, adjust your, your plant or your seeding rate um, and make other types of cultural practice changes like that. But otherwise, we would say for most fields, um, because there is such a, a heavy um, component of the, the disease triangle, you know, the, the environment side of that disease triangle has such a heavy influence on whether or not disease is likely to occur. We would typically say that, that you should um, manage soybeans as you would other years. Um, because you wouldn't necessarily have that risk every single year and you wouldn't want to miss out on yield potential. For, so from a, a agronomic standpoint, you could look at things a little bit differently than from a disease management standpoint, depending upon your field history. Angie, you hit the nail on the head there too. That's actually the field where we <laughs> uh, feed the cattle over the winter. So uh, yep. that uh, definitely could play a role there. So we're talking about conditions especially for white mold right now, mostly in part because of the timing of the news rains, but a lot of the focus of this is also going to be about what happens in a drought with diseases and what shows up. So Angie, I know you work a little bit with soybean cyst nematode. What could we be seeing with that in this upcoming summer, especially in areas where it's going to remain dry? Sure. So um, just last week, I was at a, a soybean plot tour event at a local seed uh, salesperson's um, shop, essentially. And then we went out and looked at the soybeans and I asked, you know, do you have a, do you know whether or not your, this particular field is infested with SCN? Oh no, we've sampled before. We don't have SCN. I literally walk into the field, first plant I dig up and I, I focused on the you know, the plant plants that were a little bit smaller than the other ones in the field. Um, first plant I dug up, up, I could see very evidently um, those female nematodes that are swollen up with eggs. So that's what we call, um, that eventually becomes a cyst. But right now is the, the perfect time of, of the growing season to be able to see the evidence of an in infestation. What I'm, um, seeing this year, um, just with the fact that not everybody in my region ha has sampled for SCN to know whether or not they have it. And if they do, to what extent, you know, just how severe that infestation is, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of, of soybeans that are going to maybe mature a little bit earlier than they would expect, even given the drought conditions. Also, SCN it, uh, when it's able to in infect um, soybean plants, what happens is the, the roots that it, it um, sets up shop in, they're not functioning properly. And so, um, you know, that can, can also exacerbate uh, drought conditions or the effect of, of the drought conditions on, um, on our, our soybean yields. So what I'm, walking along some fields, especially whether it's, you know, some might be irrigated, others might be on some ground that you know, there's still some drought, but the soybeans are looking 
okay, but then you come across some that like they're drought stress. How do I determine if it's soybean cyst nematode versus just say a sand streak in the field? Sure. So um, like I said, this time of year, you could very gently um, just take your spade out into the field and, and, you know, put it into the ground and gently lift up the roots um, of the plant, don't pull the plants, um, lift them up with a spade. And then what I typically do is I, I take the um, root and soil ball and just kind of um, drop it gently onto that spade to let the soil just fall off of the plants. And that's where you can see those, um, the cysts. They're actually pretty uniform in size much smaller in general than the, the nitrogen fixing nodules. And they'll tend to be right this time of year, uh, cream color, yellow color. Um, as we get later in, into the growing season, those cysts are gonna, um, eventually those female nematodes are gonna die. Um, and those cysts then fall from the, the roots. And at that time, they're kind of soil colored anyway. What I would suggest for people that don't know whether or not their field is infested to just go out and collect a, a soil sample. I know um, in 2019, 20, uh, um, we've had a couple of, of very wet falls. And so we would typically say that um, the recommendation is for folks to collect a, a soil sample um, come fall. But I would say, if, if you think that you're gonna to be too busy in the fall to collect a soil sample, do it now. You know, just do it at some point during the growing season. Um, fall is typically recommended just because then you'll kind of um, be at the peak of the infestation after soybeans. Um, if you're um, sampling in a cornfield, for example, um, going into soybeans next year, you can have a, a little bit uh, better of a handle on what your your next next year's soybean crop is going to be encountering. You know, um, there are additional things that sometimes we're worried about in terms of soybean diseases that maybe we haven't talked about. But uh, Dean and Angie, do you want to highlight anything else? Sometimes we think about at the end of the season uh, diseases like SDS or sudden death syndrome, but um, any comments about other things, whether it's Phytophthora, um, et cetera, Fusarium, other things, are we going to see less of that this year because of the dry conditions or do you anticipate changes or are we uh, over the hump, so to speak, uh, in uh, terms of concern? So maybe Dean, you want to go first or? Yeah, yeah, so in terms of a couple of those diseases, Phytophthora and SDS, you know, I'd certainly expect to see less of that most areas this year, just because of the dry conditions. And one thing we don't see a lot, or, or at least at high levels, is charcoal rot. We don't talk a lot about. We know it's in the state. It's a fungus that infects the roots and can be, it's pretty devastating in the state south of us. Um, we don't tend to see a lot of it because we usually don't have the hot, dry, and very dry conditions that really bring it on. But we could this year. So that would be something to watch for. And this would be about the time when the pods would start to fill a little later that we would probably start to see it, especially in the very dry areas of fields. So that'd be something to watch for, just to see if that develops. And, and but it's, it's very hard to predict. You know, we've been talking about the knowns, the white mold, the SCN, you know, the charcoal rot, that 
those are things we we, we kind of have an understanding of. There, there are the unknowns, things like not, not in soybeans, but for say tar spot on corn, this relatively new leaf disease that's been spreading from the southeast in Minnesota. We don't know how far that will spread. You know that the conditions again, the hot dry conditions really don't favor that that much either. That would be probably just getting started if, if it is. And so we'll have to watch for that. And then there are the unknown unknowns, like those of you that know what's going on in parts of Waseca County, we have some significant damage in many fields there after the heavy rains of a little over a week ago. And uh, there's a lot of work still going on there trying to figure out what is resulting in that. Um, it seems to be a combination probably of a root disease and, and uh, soil saturation after you know over three or, or four or five inches of rain. So there's a significant problem that was totally unexpected and it's it's clearly causing some problems. I'll stop there. Angie, what would you like to add to general comments? Sure. So um, I think it was last week now I attended a, a climate national climate center um, forecast discussion talking about what forecasted as far as um, precipitation and temperature for the rest of the growing season. And um, it sounds as if, you know, it's going to be sticking, this drought, at least in the Northwest, is probably going to be sticking around a bit. And so um, what I'm concerned about is um, in corn, thinking about um, stock rots. So just stock rots in general be, due to Obviously, um, this year wouldn't necessarily be foliar disease pressure, at least fungal disease pressure um, as a risk factor, but um, just the general stress. What happens um, when you have uh, stress during grain fill is that um, oftentimes the, the plant isn't photosynthesizing as efficiently as you'd want it to be, and it can start to kind of mine carbohydrates from the stock tissue and to uh, redistribute it into uh, the ear to fill out our kernels. Um, and that can actually predispose the plant to infection by some of the stock rotting fungi. And so I think that standability is gonna potentially be a, a concern this year. And then I, I also had a question for you, Dean. Um, in 2012, I also um, worked in Illinois at that time. And we saw Aspergillus ear mold. Um, is that a possibility? And in Minnesota, have you seen that before? That's something else I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, I was going to mention that too, you know, thinking further down the season, but ear rots, uh, there are two of them. There's Aspergillus and Fusarium rot that can be favored by hot, dry, stress conditions. And uh, the Aspergillus, we, we don't tend to see it a lot. I know it's been reported, especially in southwestern Minnesota, but I suspect the fungus is, is fairly widespread and we're just waiting for the right conditions to see it more widely. And remember, that's that's for everybody listening, that is a regulated problem that much corn is tested for. So it would be docked if it has too much of that in it. And it's a significant health issue for any corn that has it in. Fusarium um, and the fumonazin issue when that occurs. It's not quite as closely regulated, but still can be a significant issue. So those are some things to think about further on down the road if it stays very hot and dry. So we've had a couple questions coming now. 
Uh, one is over on the insect side of things. So I'll just cover that one quick. Um, but their concern is about soybean aphid and um, if farmers spring for that beneficial insects to be killed, that could allow spider mites to come in. Spider mites can be a significant problem in these drought conditions. We have a episode uh, last week's where we covered that a bit. So that's one where if you want to read about the insect side of things or um, listen to it, we have that podcast episode from previous week. So that'll be a good opportunity if you're interested in that one. Over on the disease side of things, our other question related to uh, sampling for soybean cyst nematode within the fall. Do you see any differences when you sample in the fall after especially a dry season like this? Do you see a higher amount of eggs there or less possibly? How does that vary? Reproduction, SCN reproduction tends to increase a bit um, during drought conditions. So in theory, you could potentially see um, higher final egg counts. So that's what you're looking for um, when you're collecting soil samples. You collect composite, composite samples, so multiple cores from um, essentially the more cores from the smaller area of, of a field, the better your estimate. It's always going to be an estimate. You're never going to know for, with any certainty what's um, going on below ground, but it an estimate does give you um, valuable information. Um, so that's really what we're looking for is, is an estimate. Um, and I think that uh, going into this fall, you know, um, potentially SCN densities are gonna be a little bit higher. We have nothing to compare it to because it's not like we have, you know, half of the field split where it's cooler and, and wetter. But in general, it's thought that SCN reproduces a little bit better during drought conditions. We're um, approaching close to the end of our hour, but I have another quick question on primarily on corn, maybe for both of you or some soybeans. But uh, thinking ahead here, as as farmers and consultants uh, look at at scouting through the balance of the month of July and, and into August, and we think about uh, leaf diseases and things we should look for whether it's some type of foliar situation. I mean, and we're getting way ahead of here. My, my point is thinking about, okay, whether it's um, tar spot or some other rust or something else, what else should we be uh, keeping in, in our uh, uh, viewfinder here as we go forward uh, now that a lot of the corn in a lot of places is head high in Southern Minnesota and, and beans and hopefully Angie crops will get higher <laughs> In northwestern western Minnesota too, but what what should we be going forward, keeping an eye on in, in terms of getting out in the field and, and looking primarily on a, a lot of this foliage as our crops get taller? Yeah, one one thing I'll mention is in soybeans is frog eye leaf spot, which is a disease that's been increasing across Minnesota and into North Dakota, and um, we actually found some of that in our plots on the St. Paul campus, even though they have not been irrigated. So that was a bit of a surprise. So um, that's something to watch for. I, we don't expect a lot of it where it's been dry, but, but nonetheless, there is the potential out there for some increase in that, especially where it's been raining occasionally. You know, we mentioned tar spot, we don't know what to expect there uh, on corn, but again, all the conditions point to that being favored by you know, a little bit cooler and, and wetter conditions. Um, I guess one last one that I'll mention is Southern rust on, on corn. You know, that has been increasing and spreading across southern and central Minnesota in the last few years. 
And that is a disease favored by very warm conditions. You know, our common rust that we're typically seeing, that is shut down by temperatures much above the, the low 80s, mid 80s, whereas southern rust really likes warmer conditions. And we tend to have less resistance in most of our hybrids as well. So that will be something to watch for as well. Angie, anything else that you'd like to add to uh, keep an eye on as sort of as we uh, go through the month of July and into August? Well, when I think Dean of of frog eye leaf spot, I, I don't typically think of necessarily long periods of leaf wetness, but but more um, high humidity. Is that your experience? And if so, um, as long as uh, we have high humidity, would you consider that to be a, a significant threat? You know, that, that's a good question. And we have not dealt with it for a long time in Minnesota, so I haven't really observed it a lot. You know, we've seen it increasing in the last three or four years, but I know humidity is, is critical. It doesn't need the moisture levels, say that white mold does, to really increase as it does. So. I think humidity, as long as we have some moisture out there to help um, get, the, get the fungus growing on the old residue and spreading around, I, I think that probably does increase the risk, even though we don't have much rain. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point, thanks. Well, with that, I think we could uh, wrap things up here. We're getting about uh, five past eight, so usually we like to keep things wrapped up at that point. But remember for uh, we had a couple questions come in here and future two for uh, future sessions. Feel free to ask questions throughout or especially can have things ready so we can uh, address some things at the end too, because we can address questions that come up either about in this case diseases or if any other questions come up in the meantime. So this is kind of a good example how we had an insect question come in and we can address that too with the different um, folks we have online. So thanks for that, Dave. I think I'll hand it off to you and let you. Uh, give folks the end of the session here. Well, thank you very much, uh, Anthony. I just wanna put in one comment, Dean, if that's okay, a little bit. We do have the plant disease clinic on University of Minnesota, St. Paul campus. Uh, and uh, people can certainly uh, access that as well to help them in terms of uh, diagnosis. I don't know if anything you wanna mention about that, but um, at, at this point in time, otherwise that's really all the questions that I had, Angie. Yes, I'd also like to mention our digital crop doc program. So this is a, a free service. It's sponsored by the Minnesota Soybean and Corn Research and Promotion Councils. Um, essentially, all you have to do is search on any uh, internet search engine, digital crop doc, and you'll come across a, a form that you fill out online giving us some of the context clues um, that are available in your field. You take pictures of the disease symptoms that you're observing, and then um, the goal is to get a, a preliminary disease diagnosis to you. So that is available for corn, soybeans, forages, small grains are kind of filling out the end of their season, but small grains are included as well, as is uh, sugar beet. So we we uh, urge people to take advantage of that program as well. Thank you, all good recommendations for that as well as the uh, plant disease clinic. So if people want more information, they can go online to University of Minnesota Extension and uh, search for those uh, particular items and uh, provide that information. 
Well, we'd like to thank the audience for participating today. We'll be back next week, July 14th uh, on the calendar. It was a Wednesday, same time at 7.30 in the morning. This has been the University of Minnesota Extension Field Notes program, and we're going to be keeping up with our crop in terms of development, uh, drought, et cetera, with some timely uh, subject matter. So please join us again. Uh, and as you leave today, make sure you fill out the quick uh, three-question survey at the end and look for a podcast of this program uh, to follow up here in the near future. With that, I'd like to thank again, Dr. Dean Melvick uh, and also Angie Peltier for joining us this morning as uh, a guest at the University of Minnesota Extension Field Notes program. Thank you very much and we hope to see you next week. Thank you.